Hey guys, my name is Pastor Ron. So glad that you tuned in to the podcast of Allentown Fellowship Church. Each week we're going to endeavor just to walk through the Bible book by book and then give you some truths that you can apply to your life. So welcome to the AFC podcast. Trust and pray that God's word today will be a blessing to you. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 30. Going to go from 30 to 50. We go back into the Gospel of Mark. Remember, uh, it's been a while since we've been in Mark. We took a break for uh, the Christmas uh, messages. But Jesus Christ, again, in his ministry with his chosen disciples, trying to get across to them why he came, his mission. He's headed to a cross. The disciples, in turn are believing that he's the Messiah who's going to set up an earthly kingdom now. And so they constantly are being redirected by Jesus Christ as Christ is trying to get them to understand, I've come as a suffering servant. I've come as the one who was prophesied to come to be an atonement for sin. This just kept going over their heads. They had in their mind, earthly kingdom, here's the Messiah, and we are his boys. We're the 12 he picked. We're going to rule and reign with him. And in this passage, it becomes very evident that, again, they're totally off base with their understanding. So let's pray, and we'll jump into the passage. Father, we pray now as we look into your word that you would open up our understanding. Father, may we see Christ accurately as revealed here in your word. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Starting at verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. Now, remember the last message where we stopped before. Remember they had trouble casting out the demon of the the, uh, demon-possessed boy? They couldn't do it. Right. And Jesus admonished them that this type only comes out through through prayer. Right. Much prayer. Um, This is coming off the heels of that. And now Jesus is passing through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know. Remember, he has these crowds that are constantly following him. He doesn't want anybody to know where he is. He's about to focus in on his disciples now for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. Now, think about this. You're following Christ, and he just told you this. I am going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they're going to murder me. They're going to kill me. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Clearly, there is why I've come. Jesus told him right there. There it is. I've come to die, and in three days I'm going to rise again from the dead. 32, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Why were they afraid to ask him? I mean, you're following Jesus. You're his chosen disciples, He just told you he has to die, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to raise again, and you have no questions for him? 
They, they're afraid to ask him, wait, what do you mean by all of this? Well, why is it that in their hearts and minds there's this sense of apprehension? Maybe one of the things they're thinking in their mind is, what does suffering have to do with being a ruling king? Remember, in their mind, they see Jesus as the Messiah who's going to rule and reign now, and we're going to rule and reign with you. All this talk about dying and, 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 and coming back to life, like, we, we don't understand what you mean. Well, I, I think that's part of the reason, but I think it's going to be a, 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 another more apparent reason why they were afraid to ask. Look at 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? <laughs> so here Jesus is pouring out his heart. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise again. They don't have anything to say about that. Why? Because what were they discussing? 34, but they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Are you kidding me? Can you picture this? Jesus teaching them, pouring out his heart, this is why I have come. I am headed to a cross. And these disciples are arguing about who's the greatest among them. Wow. In light of what Jesus was just teaching about his suffering and death, they're fighting over which one of them are going to be the greatest. Really? This is why, again, they didn't understand what Christ was talking about because they were so self-absorbed about their own self-interest, their own self-glory. They didn't even hear what Jesus was saying, that he was headed to a cross. So now Jesus takes an opportunity to really explain to them, listen, you boys want to be great, sit down. Let me tell you what you need to do to be great. 35, and he sat down and called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Let me just bust your self-seeking glory right now. Here I am, the Lamb of God, walking in your midst, about to lay down my life for the atonement of man's sins. I am God in the flesh, humbling myself. As Philippians tells us, he humbled himself, laid aside his rights, and went right to a cross. Philippians, Paul says, he became a servant. And here I am in the midst of you. And you're among yourselves arguing about who's, who's greatest among you. Really? He says, you want to be great, then you need to do what? You must be last of all and servant of all. Power and prestige versus humility and servanthood. This is total countercultural. Remember, look at the context. Look at the context. Rome is in control. Rome has her foot on Israel. They think Jesus is the liberator. 
He's going to make all things right. Jesus is going to get rid of Caesar, and Jesus is going to be in power. And we're going to be in power with you, Jesus. We want power. We want prestige in this kingdom that you're about to set up. Jesus flips it on his head and says, listen, you want to be first? You want to be great? You want to have power? You, you, you want to be looked at somebody as, 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 as being noble and, and worthy of praise and honor? Become a servant. Get at the back of the line. Man, this is so countercultural even today. The whole American dream is about what? It's about you, 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 you. Get your riches and your land. It's all about you. This is what they're thinking. We are aligning ourselves with Jesus Christ because we are going to become prestige. We're going to become powerful. Jesus is like, you don't get it. That's not who I'm looking for. Notice verse 36. Now he gives a, an object lesson. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Wow. It's important to understand what he did here. Why did he pull a child? In light of talking about humility and becoming, becoming a servant, because in the ancient Near East culture, children had no place of honor. Children had no value. It's not like the way we think about kids today in our Western culture. Children were not even looked at as someone having status or rights. Think about that. But yet Jesus says, if you receive one such child in my name, in other words, if you love, if you serve this one, that the culture says has no status, no power, but you do it in my name. Wow. Then you're doing what is honoring to God. In other words, go after that which is lowly. Nobody is trying to align themselves with a, with a child. That child can't bring me any power or prestige. Jesus is like, you're right. But you need to embrace this child. See, it's, he's breaking down this pride, this self-glory-seeking mindset that the disciples had. This is contrary to the way we even think in Western culture today, right? Think about it. We want to align ourselves to those people who have prestige and power. You talk to people, and it's amazing how if, if, you know, people like to let you know who they know who they know in, that's in a prominent place. Why? Like, why? That makes you feel good. Oh, uh, yeah, do you ever go to this restaurant? Oh, yeah, uh, I know the owner. Okay. <laughs> so you know the owner. Yeah, 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 he and I play golf sometimes. Uh, what does that have to do with my chicken soup? Like, what is that? Like, what? it makes you feel good, right? Like, yeah, like, like, like you, you like all this? I know the guy who owns this. What is this? This human tendency we have, we want to align ourselves with other people because it makes us feel good. This is what the disciples are doing. 
They're aligning themselves with Jesus because they think Jesus is about to knock Caesar off and set up a kingdom. And they're going to be disappointed real soon when he's arrested. And they're going to scatter and leave him because this is not what they signed up for. Jesus is trying to get them to understand what it means to be a true follower of me. I'm not here for your glory. I'm here for my glory. And if you don't embrace one such as this little child that the culture deems as being invaluable, if you don't have that mindset of humility, you're not fit to be one of my disciples. Wow. Notice he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. That's what pleases is me, right? And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. So to know Jesus is to know God. You want to live a life in, in, in such a way that, that, that has God's blessing on it? He says, go after the low in heart, the meek. Go after this one right here like this child. Have this type of mindset. Guys, this is something that even, again, he's talking to disciples. Let's take this and put this into our contemporary time today within churches. How many times in churches do you have God's people aligning themselves with certain people within the context of ministry that are in the spotlight? Right? The guy who cleans the toilets or the guy who vacuums the floor or the guy who sets the chairs up, they don't align themselves with him. But when the bishop walks in, oh, uh, there's a bishop. Yeah, hey, bishop, yeah, uh, we doing lunch today? Like, like well, hold on a minute. This is what the disciples were doing. They had this mindset where it was about them. It was about them. It was about pride. It was about their own ego. And how many times has this happened in ministry? Rather than having a mindset of servanthood and humility, because that's what Christ demonstrated. Again, go back to Philippians, right? He says what? Paul says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and became a servant. See, the ministry is not about a man. It's not about a person. There are so many people in ministry for the wrong reason. They're in the ministry for their own self-glorification. And when it comes to having a mindset of receiving a child, one who can do nothing beneficial to you, people shy away from that. No, I want to minister or I want to be a part where I'm going to be in the spotlight. Shame on you. Shame on you. Christ would say to you what he's saying to his disciples. He's trying to get them to understand what it means to truly be a disciple. Humility, servanthood. Now, look at verse 38. Very interesting. In light of his teaching, he talked about the disciples not getting it, right? John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Really? <laughs> like, are you hearing anything I'm saying? Recall, remember the disciples failed at this. The irony of now trying to stop other people from doing what they could not do. Remember, they couldn't cast out a demon. Now they say, teacher, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. We, we, we tried to tell him to stop it because he's not one of us. 
He's not within this inner circle. Who do you think you are doing that? See the pride? And Jesus calls him out. 39, but Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Wow. Jesus says, for the one who is not against us is for us. Again, the disciples needed to get the camera off of them. They have this kind of mob mentality, if you will, that we're the chosen ones. We're with Jesus. We're going to set up this new kingdom on earth. And you're going to have to listen to us because we got power now because we're with the king. The new king is here. And Jesus is like, you totally missed it. I'm going to a cross and you need to change that attitude and become a servant. So even when they see people doing things in the name of Jesus, it's very interesting that Jesus says, don't try to stop them. Whoever those people are that are doing this in the name of Jesus, Jesus is like, what? Well, look, the one who is not against us is for us. They're doing it in my name. Leave them alone. <laughs> because you're not getting the credit, because you're not doing that particular work, which, by the way, you couldn't do earlier. What, are you jealous now? Man, how relevant is this to the contemporary church today? I remember a number of years ago being in a meeting with a number of pastors from different churches, and I made this statement. I simply made this statement. What if all of you, it's about 12, 14 pastors, what if all of you didn't see your ministry as your ministry? Saw it as God says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we put our walls down, put our walls down in all of our churches, metaphorically speaking, put the walls down, and all 12 of you work together. Look, look at these men in this room, all these churches represented. There's about probably nine or ten different churches represented in that room. What if we all just work together? Pastor, 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 bishop, bishop, you all just all work together, right? We're saying there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But yet, in a nine-block radius, you can count 12 churches. Like, what if we did that? I will never forget what one of the brothers in that, in, in that room said. He said, son, <laughs> that'll never happen. He said, with all due respect, God has given all these men their ministries. We all have separate ministries, separate things that we're doing. And I looked at him and I said, sir, with all due respect, that's the problem. That's the problem. You see, after that meeting, <clears throat> someone came to me and said, I get what you're saying. Because I got a little small storefront church and I wanted to start a Bible study for former addicts. And I don't have enough room in my little storefront. Watch this. So I walked across the street to the much larger church and said, could we use your basement on Thursday night? Guess what the answer was? Well, uh, <clears throat> we'll bring it up at the next deacons meeting and we'll put the proposal before the deacons and the facilities committee will get back with you. Really? Are you kidding me? 
Here's a fellow pastor, loves the Lord Jesus Christ, saved by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone, just like you, wants to start a Bible study for addicts that want to come. He don't have enough room because there's too many of them that want to come. And you got to pray about whether he can use your church, the basement of your church. Are you kidding me? This is the problem with contemporary Christianity today. So I said to him, so did they get back to you? He said, well, I had to go back again and talk to him. And then the deacon, for whatever reason, decided not at this time. This is the problem that the disciples, this mindset that ministry is just about you. No, it's about Christ. It's not about you. You don't have a ministry. You're proclaiming Christ. You're a servant of Jesus Christ. And as these other are, these others' disciples are, 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 are casting out demons in the name of Christ, Jesus says, leave him alone. Don't stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. We need to have this mindset as Christians that the work is the work of Christ. There are other people who don't look like you, who don't worship like you, who are of God's kingdom. You're not the only one. And so easily we get into this mindset, ministry has to be done this way. Because it's about you rather than Christ. We can say a lot more about that. When you, you think about Paul, right? Uh, and Corinthians, when they were dividing in the church of Corinth because I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, well, I follow Cephas, well, I follow Christ. And Paul says, who is Cephas? Who is Apollos? Who am I? Paul had to get the Corinthians straight and say, we're nothing but slaves of Christ. So whether it's me or Apollos or Cephas, it's not about us, it's about Christ. Man, if the American churches could have that mindset. Let's go on. Verse 41. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Wow. A menial task. Whoever even gives you a cup of cold water because you belong to me Jesus says, I will reward that. What is he getting at? He's trying to break down this egotistic mindset that the disciples have. Do you, you, you want to be in the lights, but do you realize the person who just gives a cup of water to one of mine, I will reward that. You don't have to be in the lights. You don't have to be in the pulpit. You don't have to be the one doing the conferences and, and speaking and all, right? No, just be a servant. Now listen, if God called you to preach, preach. If God's called you, but, but, but don't say, I, I will only minister and serve God under these circumstances. You don't have a right to say that as a believer. You're a slave of Christ. I remember I went to a church one time to preach, and you know, of course I met the pastor. It was a pretty big church, and he went up and did his thing, and, 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 and he was like, 
you want to come, you want to sit up here? Or I said, no, 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 man, I want to sit here, with, sit in the congregation. So I just sat in the congregation until it was my time to speak. And then, you know, how they, you know, they introduced the speaker. Today we have Pastor Ron Jones, and da, da, da. you see people looking around. Because they're like, there ain't nobody up there but the pastor. But the guy sitting next to me, I met him because he just sat down. And he was like, he talking about you. I said, yeah. He said, man, what you doing sitting here? You're supposed to be up there. You're supposed to, you know, this mentality, right? Like, why? Why? I'm just, a, just another person. I'm just a slave of Christ, just like you, right? My role is to preach, but I'm no better than you. Now, I understand what the guy was doing. He was trying to, like, now, you know, give honor to whom honors do. I, I get that. But even in his mind, it was like, you're a pastor. You should be up there. No. Jesus Christ would have been sitting right here. This mindset of humility is so hard to find among God's people, particularly among God's people who are in leadership, because we lose sight that we are a slave. And so we start putting out all these things we need in order to minister. Conditions that we need. Places we will go or places we will not go. No, no, no. We need to have this mindset of being a servant, of being a slave of Christ. Jesus says, even the one who gives you a cup of water to drink. Because, the motive is, because you belong to Christ. That's why they're doing this. Will by no means lose his reward. Now, again, he's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about a mindset of serving, of having humility towards others. Remember the context of what's going on here. John's upset because someone's doing a greater work over here. Someone is casting out demons. That's a noble work. See, John's upset about that. We told him to stop doing that. What do you, and Jesus is like, are you kidding me? First of all, don't tell him to stop doing that. And get your eyes off of the big stuff, like casting out demons. If you just give a cup of water to somebody in my name, I'm pleased by it. You, you see, Jesus is breaking their mindset down from thinking it's all about them. No, it's about humility. It's about having an attitude of, I just want to serve Christ. So we go on. Now Jesus uses hyperbole. You can just feel how he's, he's ramping up this lesson. 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. In other words, someone, someone who, 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 not that great in the faith. And again, I think he's using a metaphor here. Again, going back to the child. Here's someone, has no value, doesn't, not a great theologian, but this is someone whose mind, a little one, you cause one of these little ones who believe in me, Think about a very immature Christian, if you will. If you cause them to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Whoa. Whoa. The idea of this millstone has to do with not just this little grinding stone. It's, it's the stone that the donkey would pull. Right? And you see that big stone tied to a donkey and he would walk around and the stone would grind the mill, right? Or grind the wheat or whatever. He says, it'd be better if that were hooked around your neck and you're thrown into the sea. Why? If you cause one of these little ones to stumble, to sin. 
Do you see the value Jesus Christ is placing on his children? And the value has nothing to do about their greatness or their position. But the fact that they belong to me. Remember, he used a little child as the example. Had no value in the ancient Near East. And now I, I, he's saying, look, if you cause one of these little ones, they believe in me, you cause them to sin. Look at the judgment. 43. Now, he says, look, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That's radical. Obviously, again, he doesn't mean literally. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And then he describes hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Wow. Now they would have had the picture in their mind of the garbage heaps where they would throw the garbage and even at times corpse on the outside of the city and then they would burn it. And this, this image horrific image of destruction where the worm is feeding off of the carcasses of all that that's being burned and it never dies. Look at this picture. What is he saying? When you start to compare life with Christ versus whatever sacrifice it may cost me in this life, to know Christ is far greater than to not know Christ, no matter what the cost. Now, these disciples are going to learn this much later when they're going to be called to even lay down their life for Christ. What is he getting at here? What, 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 is, it, what is it in my life? What is it in my motivation for living that, 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 that I'm going after rather than the salvation that Christ offers in him alone? That's what he's getting at. So here, not, not only is Jesus confronting the disciples in their wrong thinking. Now, remember, they are his disciples. But then he kind of switches gears and now talks about this idea of not only causing my little ones to sin but now let me pull the camera back even more and talk about if something in your life causes you to sin look at the admonition again this is not a work salvation that he's talking about he's trying to emphasize the mindset that we ought to have in our lives as believers what is it in my life that would be contrary to all that pleases his God. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. This is a high cost of following Christ. Now again, Jesus Christ paid it all. He paid the price with his blood on Calvary's cross. But to follow him cost something. That's why he said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. He didn't say pick up your dream. 
Pick up your cross and follow me. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be pain. Disciples wanted nothing to do with that. They wanted glory, prosperity, and power. He's like, you don't understand what it means to be one of my disciples. 49, he says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Interesting. Oftentimes, salt was used on the offering. If you read Leviticus, they would put salt on the offering before they burned the offering and offered it to God. He says, for everyone will be salted with fire. I believe what Jesus is saying here is suffering is unavoidable. If you're going to truly follow me, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? So Jesus is just hitting all these concepts at them. Look, you're supposed to be preserving what is right, what is righteous, what is true, what is honorable. Like God's people ought to be exhibiting that because we have Christ in us. And that way we, we are preserving this culture, if you will. We're a light. God's kingdom is proclaimed by us through Christ. The world is dying spiritually. Christ is the good news, the hope of mankind. You and I are supposed to be bearing out that light. We ought to be that salt, showing, preserving. But notice what he says. If the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? In other words, if you're not living out what it means to be like Christ, what good are you? Have salt in yourselves, he says and be at peace with one another. See how he brings it right back to what the issue was? In the context, what, did they have peace with one another? No, they were arguing. Arguing about who's the greatest. So Jesus takes him through this, these litanies of lessons to understand what it means to be one of my disciples. I am God in the flesh. I am about to lay down my life for the atonement of the sins of man to satisfy God's holy wrath. You're supposed to be following me. You're supposed to have this same mindset of being a servant to others. As I have laid down my life, I'm about to lay down my life for you. It ought to affect how you treat one another, especially fellow believers. Remember, Paul says in Colossians, it is Christ that I proclaim. Him I proclaim, Jesus Christ. Now, this is countercultural, no doubt. We live in a society that is very narcissistic. It's all about you. This is so countercultural to what Jesus said. Jesus comes on and says, no, it's not all about you. It's about God. And if anybody has a right to claim and boast and demand things, it would be Jesus Christ. Because he was God in the flesh. Yet look at what he subjected himself to. He becomes our example of how to live as believers. But you can't live as a believer until you are a believer. Right? Sometimes I hear people preach Christ as if Christ was just preaching moral lessons. Well, there's definitely morality and how these disciples ought to be living. But the bigger point is what I'm about to do for you on the cross. My morality comes through knowing Christ. 
So it's once, once my biggest problem has been taken care of, which is my sin in the presence of a holy God for which Christ paid for, now I live through Christ. I live through His Spirit. I treat you and I treat those who don't know Christ in such a way that shows I understand what Christ has done for me on the cross. So as we wrap up, in your mind, if you think about 2021, honestly, as you go into this world, what does it mean to be great to you? What does it mean to be great? It's what the disciples were vying for. They wanted to be great. What does that mean to you? Aligning yourself up with what? Popularity, prestige, what? You know, for the believer, what it means to be great, we ought to say, what it means to be great is to know Christ. Because he's the one who turns around and calls me a joint heir of his. We are joint heirs with Christ. We will rule and reign with Christ one day. My greatness is not found in me. It's found in what God did through Christ. Do you understand that we are not the only Christians in the world? Your culture is not the only way of living out the faith. There are Christians all over this world that are worshiping God, that are doing ministry, that are worshiping in different ways. I pray that as Christians, we don't get so single-minded, so egotistic in our thinking and thinking, we got the corner on the market. No, no, no. That's what I loved about going to China and going to Africa and seeing these brothers and sisters worship within their culture and still proclaim the same Christ that we proclaim? Is there division between you and other believers, you and other ministries, because they're not doing it your way? Shame on you. We're one in Christ. Christianity is not a Western idea. It's God's idea, rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And then finally, as you go into 2021, what does it mean to live for Christ? What does it mean to live for Jesus Christ? to be a true follower. Guys, what's driving you internally? What's driving you? I want out of my life anything that is going to sidetrack me from living this life in a way that is pleasing to him. That means there may be things in your life you have to cut off, get out of your life. Why? Not just for external conformity, because it doesn't please my God. And I'm more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing myself or mankind. That's the attitude we should have. It's not about us. Living with a keen awareness of the here and now. I understand about here and now. We talked about that last week. Use your gifts, your talents. Live now. Work hard. Play hard. Amen. It's the gift of God to enjoy the fruit of your labor. But do it all with this keen awareness that I'm representing Jesus Christ in all that I do. Which means there's going to be boundaries and guardrails that I'm going to have to adhere to. You're the salt. You're the light of a dark and dying world. How are you doing with this as a believer? God, I pray, Lord, that you would just take these truths and take them from our minds into our hearts and then into our actions. Realize who we are in Christ, what Christ did on that cross. God, it has 
and should have a profound effect on the way we live day to day. Help us to be the light, the salt of the earth. God, help us to be reminded because of the blood of Christ, because of faith in Christ, we have escaped your wrath. Your wrath is no longer directed toward us. Oh God, if that doesn't bring us peace in a world of darkness and confusion, nothing ever will. May we rest in that truth. But then God, not just rest in it, now live out our lives in a way that reflects we know and understand that truth by the way we treat our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, by the way we treat those who don't believe. God, give us your wisdom to live out 2021 in a manner that is pleasing to you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the AFC Podcast. I hope and pray today's word has challenged you to align your thinking with God's word. If you would like to come visit us for one of our services, we would love to have you. We are located at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We are in what is called the Daybreak Room, which is housed in the Dubs Community Center. 457 West Allen Street, Allentown, PA. Our services start at 1 p.m. So if you're looking for a church that sticks to the Word of God, come on out and join us. We'd love to see you. Till next time, God bless.